welcome to It Is Time to Understand Your Hormones, ladies. I'm so glad that you are here with us, and I'm super excited today because I have as my guest this really, really incredible woman that I just learned about a few months ago named Dr. Dr. Anna Garrett, and she is... Um, really teaching about something that I don't think is talked about enough in our culture. Um, even though we're starting to talk more about hormones in general and there's um, some good experts out there, nobody's really talking about the big shift and change in our life, which is perimenopause followed by menopause. And, you know, I'm just at that age where I'm hitting perimenopause. So obviously it's up for me in a big way. Um, but I was very excited because I had learned that she was coming out with this book that I actually have here. Very, it's a really, really amazing book. And it's good called, word. Oh, good. <laughs> We're both ready with the book. It's called Perimenopause, The Savvy Sister's Guide to Hormone Harmony. And I really, really highly recommend it. Um, really honestly starting maybe even your mid thirties to do some like prep, you know, and, and so many women are starting to see, um, issues at that time in their life anyway. And so I'm like, get ahead of the game, ladies, seriously. Like it's, it's really helpful. So just a little bit about Anna and Dr. Garrett. I was like, can I call you Anna? Is that okay? Yes, please. <laughs> You're like, yes, I'd rather. So she's actually a clinical, uh, pharmacist for over 20 years, which is one of the things that I, um, that drew me to her so much because I think we need this combination of, you know, the sort of Western medicine tradition and understanding that alongside what, you know, a lot of people consider alternative approaches or um, integrative approaches. And so she started working with women um, around midlife issues when that became your passion, right? At some point. Right which I totally want to hear about that. Um, and she actually went to my alma mater for her doctor of pharmacy. She went to Chapel Hill. And then she's also certified as an intrinsic coach, which I want to hear more about, and has studied through the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. So she's kind of got the whole package when it comes to all of this important stuff and sort of understanding and bridging these two worlds. So super excited that she's here with us today. Now I'm going to like turn it over to you. Welcome. Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here. Sweet. So yeah, first I'd love to know sort of, you know, that, that time that you decided like, okay, you know, what I'm doing in the pharmacy work maybe isn't fulfilling everything and, and what, you know, sort of shifted you into helping women in midlife. Well, I was one or I still am actually. So we, we can start there. And then when I worked at um, Mission Hospital, our local hospital here, I was a manager and I, um, as part of our wellness program at that point, after I finished my intrinsic coaching certification, they added health coaching as a benefit for um, the employees. Oh, cool. And so one other person and I basically took on all those people and I seemed to get all the women who would come into my office and say, I'm... 49, you know, I'm about to turn 50 and all these things are going on. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. And I had one person in particular who came in and this, this is the, you know, the thing that kind of really got me going. Um, she had been admitted to the psychiatric ward admission twice. Um, as she puts it once on the good side and once on the bad side. So on the good side, you admit yourself um, on the bad side, you try to commit suicide um, and that, that's what gets you there. But she had been put on all these psychiatric meds 
And she said, I knew it was not, it was not a psychiatric issue. Something was just not right. And so um, this is before I'd even started my business. She went and got some uh, hormone testing um, somewhere in South Carolina. And what it showed was that her hormones were just all out of whack. And so she got that straightened out and lo and behold, didn't need the psychiatric meds anymore. So that really got me thinking about, okay, I knew I wanted to start a business. I have this pharmacist training. I was just going to do life coaching for women in midlife. But I was like, I went to pharmacy school for six years. I don't want to give that up. That would be stupid. Um, So how can I combine those two things? And so I have a friend who is a compounding pharmacist in Durham, North Carolina, and she was doing hormone consultations. And so I said, can I come spend the day with you? And so I did that. And when I left, I knew that that was the combination and that was the missing link. And Dr. Anna Garrett was born. That's so cool. Yeah. And I mean, that just brings up for me, I mean, all of our lives, I feel like there's such a um, push towards like there's something chemically wrong with you. Mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, we're finding out more and more hormonally <laughs> right. from teenage years on, I mean, can cause all of these different things that we've classified as essentially people being insane or having mental illness, you know? Right, exactly. And I mean, even now, antidepressants are sort of the go-to for anxiety and insomnia and, you know, you know, pick something. Um, Antidepressants and birth control pills. And those are Band-Aids. I mean, yeah, they work, but it doesn't solve the underlying problem. Right, right. And of course, we're seeing so much coming out now about birth control and its yes. impacts, right? And yes. We kind of had an idea, but now the science is finally backing that up. And exactly. And I go, ooh, how many years did I take those? Right. <laughs> not take birth control ever, you know? And they're saying like, because I, I stopped, I think, taking the pill when I was about 23 or 24, mm-hmm. but they say it can impact you like 20 yeah. years after, you know? Yeah. So here Absolutely. we are, very menopause. So, um, so did you actually start going through some of the symptoms of perimenopause too, to where that, yeah. that added to, to your you know, wanting to help women around this? Yes. Um, I mean, I, my personal journey has not been all that dramatic compared to some of the women that are in my, my group on Facebook because they're dramatic. Um, but insomnia has been my personal little piece of, hormone hell, as I like to call it. And now it's the night sweats and it's just like, okay. And I just keep, you know, I keep tweaking things around. I mean, it's not a static situation because as we age, um, our hormones continue to change. And so people, you know, will ask me, well, you know, if I do testing, when am I going to have to do it again? I'm like, well, I don't know when, when something changes or if you're not feeling the way you want to feel. So it's not a, you know, it's a moving target for the rest of your life pretty much. Cause some w- women even well into menopause uh, still have issues that come up. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think, you know, so many of us are still in that mindset of like, even if we go to a holistic practitioner or an integrative practitioner, we still kind of want that, like, that pill and that answer and that uh-huh. amount of time, you know, and it's like hormones don't work that way. You know, really, you know, so much of it is just 
trial and error and figuring out, you know, what is working for your body. Cause even with hormone testing, which I think is hugely important, but even with that, you still have to, you know, right. navigate all of this different stuff. And so it, I know it can be hard for some time, you know, for people sometimes when they come in and they're just like, but what you're just, we're going to, you don't know the actual answer yet. And it's like, no, we got to figure it out. Well, and you know, step one in my work with my clients is always lifestyle because you know, if you're not addressing the lifestyle issues, there's no supplement in the world that's going to outrun, you know, a crappy lifestyle or, or a huge stress level. Um, because my personal opinion is that stress underlies, you know, 80% of hormone imbalances because cortisol just wreaks havoc on everybody. Absolutely. And I'm glad, um, you know, you talked about that in the book a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's so funny because it's something that I've always known, but I feel like just since what I've gone through and the recognition of my adrenal dysregulation before mm -hmm. fibroid growth, you know, like it makes perfect sense to me now. And, and a lot of women, we just keep pushing through, right? Right. Exactly. Like we're like, okay, well, we'll get to that point. And really, like you said, there's no supplement. There's not even foods that will get you to right. where you need to go if you don't change your lifestyle. Exactly. Um, so what are some of the things that you recommend to women that they do first off? Well, sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then the next thing somebody will say to me is, well, if I could sleep, I would. And I'm like, yes, I understand that. But at least give yourself the container of time to try to get sleep. Um, I think cutting out sugar is huge and, and limiting processed foods. And, you know, I've had clients where I said, try not drinking alcohol and see what happens. And it totally fixes everything that's going on. So there's a lot of things that are really low hanging fruit. And unfortunately, drinking of wine tends to be a go-to strategy for a lot of women. So nobody wants to hear that. Um, but it, but it makes a big difference especially when it comes to, to night sweats and, and interrupted sleep. Right. Yeah. And it's so interesting because a lot of women are on that cycle of, you know, they need wine to calm down and mm -hmm. they need coffee to get up in the morning. Right. right. And it's totally wrecking your adrenals on both ends. Yes. Um, and so I, I know that's, that's with my clients. That's always the, the hardest thing to um, ease back that, that nighttime, you know, beverage <laughs> to calm things down. Well, and I try to approach it with people as let's just do this as an experiment. You know, you don't have to get married to it. Just mm -hmm. try it for a week and just notice, notice what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that usually is an easier sell than you can't ever drink alcohol again. So. And that's where coaching comes in, right? You're like. Exactly. <laughs> so what are some of the, um, the first signs of perimenopause that women should be looking out for? Um, some of the big ones are anxiety that's new, uh, insomnia, uh, weight gain that just kind of steadily comes on. Um, fatigue is a big one. Um, mood swings. So it's just, it, and so many of them look like other things, right. you know. So if you right. go to your doctor and you say, gosh, I'm feeling really anxious, their first thought is not going to be perimenopause. It's going to be, oh, here, let me give you a benzodiazepine. Mm -hmm. um, a little Xanax for everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are some of the really common ones. Period changes, so longer, shorter, heavier, lighter. Um, you know, anything is, is fair game in perimenopause when it comes to periods. And that's, 
you know, that's one of the things that really alarms people is when their period starts to change. Cause you know, what I want people to understand is, yeah, you may have been a 28 day girl all along, but there's no on off switch for periods in, in menopause. You, you know, you don't just reach a magic day and, you know, suddenly they stop. You go through this whole evolution of the hormonal changes. So I went through a, I don't know how long it was. It was several months where I was having two a month and I was like, wow. like that. <laughs> this isn't supposed to happen. No, I was like, no. Um, and then I'd go like six months with nothing and then have another one. And so I actually just officially entered men menopause this past February oh. and, I, and I'm 59. So I'm, I'm an outlier. So people don't think that it's going to take till you're 59. The average age is 51. So I'm, I'm on the far end of the spectrum. But, but what that also points out is if the average is 51, then there's a whole other end of the spectrum that are hitting menopause at like 43 or 44. Right, right. So it's, you know, that average is the, the combination of those two ends of the spectrum. So, um, so a lot of women will get dismissed when they go to their doctor as you're too young to be in perimenopause. And I say that is BS because things can start to change in your mid to late thirties. Wow. So are you seeing, do you feel like you're seeing more of it happening earlier or it's just kind of a wide range? It's, it's kind of all over the map with my clients. Um, I don't have many that are, young, like 35 ish, but I've got a fairly good number that are like 42 to 45. Um, and those are the ones who didn't settle for you're too young. They were like, uh, -uh I'm getting on top of this. And I think that's really important for, you know, your, your, um, viewers to understand is, is getting on top of it and making the changes that you need to make before the doo-doo really hits the fan, uh, will serve you very well. Absolutely. So what are some of the first things you recommend for women to do to help support their bodies? Well, definitely looking at dietary issues, um, making sure that you're eating as much clean, healthy food as you can, making sure that you're eating enough calories, um, limiting alcohol, uh, working on stress management. I mean, those are all really excellent first steps as far as building a foundation. Um, and then, you know, supplements come in. So for instance, I'm a big fan of magnesium because our soil has become so depleted that a lot of people don't get enough magnesium and it is excellent for sleep. Yeah. So it has been, what do you, is there, um, you know, I think it comes up a lot that people are like, well, how much magnesium should I take? Mm -hmm. Um, is, is there kind of a good place to start? Well, so let's, talk first about the kind the the forms of magnesium that are that are best because they get into the brain so you want to stay away from magnesium oxide and magnesium citrate because they tend to cause gi upset in the biggest number of people and we don't want that so diarrhea is very common with magnesium oxide right and it's not and it's not well absorbed right so my favorites are magnesium glycinate magnesium threonate and magnesium taurate um my personal go-to has always been glycinate because mm -hmm. that's just kind of what I started with. Um, but I've recently switched over to taurate because the tar, the taurate turns into taurine, which then helps uh, create GABA in your brain oh. and GABA is calming. So um, I've switched to that one. My daughter 
started taking it too. And she texted me last week and she was like, I slept till 8.30 on Saturday morning. And I was like, oh. It's <laughs> no, because I use glycinate. And so, I, yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, either one of those is actually fine. But I like um, that for, especially for some clients that really struggle with sleep. Yeah. And so what you're looking for is, you know, starting with just to see how you react to it, maybe 125 milligrams of elemental magnesium, which for most products is one capsule. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, I have gone as high as three. Um, usually I take two. So it really depends on your individual response. Right. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it, it, it's really tough to get people off of calm a lot of times. Yeah. That's kind of the well-known one, you know? Yeah. And I, I try and tell them, well, yeah, you know, it's not, even though, especially people with constipation, they can like it. Yes. Like, it's not actually, it, it, it's, it's kind of rough on your stomach, even though it's making you go, you know? So, right. Like, let's figure out what else is going on there. Well, and, and, you know, from a testing standpoint, I think it's important to understand that a serum magnesium level is not going to tell you anything right. about your magnesium status. It needs to be a red blood cell magnesium level. So, um, and most oh, doctors. It was a good way to test your mm -hmm. magnesium Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about testing. So okay. what you tend to, you know, when a woman comes to you, um, what do you tend to do first in terms of testing? Um, I tend to use the Dutch test with most of my clients unless they're on hormone supplementation already. And then if they're on, um, like topical progesterone, there's the only good way to follow that is to do a blood spot test. So that can be obtained from ZRT lab. And basically you stick your finger and get a drop of blood and send it to the lab. And the reason that's the best way is because it's capillary blood. So it'll reflect what's going on in your tissues okay. better than any of the other methods. So um, like with, with serum testing of progesterone, uh, if you're using it topically, it won't show up on a blood test at all. Huh. But your doctor, not knowing that, will go, oh, it's not working or increase your dose and potentially overdose you on progesterone. Um, Checking it by urine is not a good way to do it either. And saliva, if you try to check a saliva test of somebody who's on topical progesterone, the value is going to be sky high and it's not going to tell you anything. That's so interesting. But it freaks your patients out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Because a lot of people don't know that. And for those that don't know, the Dutch test is actually a dried urine test. Right. So it's very easy to do. Right. And on the whole, it, it shows the other hormones. Yes. It's so it... It shows all of the sex hormones, so estradiol, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, so it gives you the absolute values of those, but it also looks at the, met the metabolic pathways that those hormones travel, so we can see, for instance, with estrogen, um, your body actually makes three kinds of estrogen, which is then metabolized and eliminated from your body. And one of those metabolites is associated with DNA damage and potential cancer risk. So if you have a, too much of a percentage of that, there are things we can do to manipulate that pathway so that it goes into the safer, um, the safer avenue. Uh, we can also look at it and say your body favors, you know, the, uh, a certain pathway for testosterone. And if it does, then that increases the likelihood that you might have acne or oily skin or that, um, you have 
side effects from testosterone. So it, it gives us organic acids for B vitamins and neurotransmitters and melatonin levels. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff. Right. You really get the comprehensive picture of what's going on. And then a really deep dive into cortisol. Right, right. Well, and just going back for a second to the estrogen, you know, I, I've definitely been reading a lot lately because uh, DIM is something that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people just say, if you have too much estrogen, just take DIM. But it turns out that it's not good for everybody, depending on which pathway the estrogen goes down, right? Right. Yeah. Right. So it, it is, um, it's especially not good for people that have low estrogen because you're just going to make yourself worse. Right. Um, and, and exacerbate your symptoms. But you know, if you don't have a phase one defect, I know I'm going to, you know, get into a little more biochemistry here. Then. Some, some of the people will appreciate that. So, yeah. So there's phase one and phase two metabolism in your liver. And phase one um, is where the two hydroxy metabolites made the four hydroxy and the 16 hydroxy. And what we want is most of your estrogen going down the two hydroxy pathway. And so DIM can push estrogen from four and 16 into two. Um, and then you have phase two metabolism, which is um, uh, where your catecholomethyltransferase enzyme comes in. <laughs> um, and, the, and part of that's genetic, but that pathway can be supported with calcium deglucurate. So a lot of times, or uh, P5P, which is a form of a B vitamin, but a, a lot of times you'll see calcium deglucurate and DIM in the same product. And that's what I actually take. Um, but not everybody needs that. So it's important to be able to look at that pathway. If you're already sending, you know, 85% of your estrogen down the two hydroxy pathway, you don't need them. Right. Um, I, I use it and my estrogen levels are actually low, but I use it because when I started taking testosterone, it was converting to estrogen and it caused me to have another period. And I was like, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> um, so the DIM will, the DIM will block that conversion. Gotcha. Okay. So there's so many levels of sort of understanding. Exactly. Yeah. What do you think about um, liposomal glutathione for phase two? Is that it? Um, I like that as well. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, it, one of the things, you know, that I try and work with my clients on that have estrogen dominance symptoms, and I know that that wording, some people don't like to say estrogen dominance, but you know, just for the sake of that's what a lot of people understand, um, is really kind of working from the colon back. Right. You gotta get that colon cleared out first. Right. There's a lot of issues for a lot of people. So um, this is where lifestyle comes in again, because if you're constipated, you're just going to keep recirculating your estrogen. So right. making sure that your GI transit time is, is good and that you're not allowing things to get backed up and, um, and recirculate. Right. And so would you go sort of um, phase two support before phase one support then from, from that place or? I, I would look at their Dutch results and go, here's where the problem is. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's yeah. That's very helpful. It's just, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of guessing at what's going on with somebody because right. I can be wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing is you don't really know until you see the test. That's why, right. I, especially when I first learned about Dutch, I was like, what an amazing thing. And you kind of learn how little the blood tests kind of tell us, especially, exactly. you know, especially actually, can you talk a little bit about cortisol? Cause I don't, I don't think a lot of people understand cortisol's connection to the sex hormones. Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, 
So cortisol is one of your stress hormones and um, it, you need cortisol to stay alive. So it's not a bad thing. And you, and in certain amounts, it helps you get stuff done, right? So you meet deadlines, you jump out of the way of the speeding bus, you know, whatever. And so in a perfect world, we release that cortisol when we need it. And it comes back down to a low level um, when we're not under stress anymore. So like I use my dog as an example. Mm -hmm. um, when the UPS man comes to my door he gets flooded with cortisol because he wants to eat the UPS man. But as soon as that truck leaves the driveway, he's back over in his bed and all is right with the world. Um, and there's a, a good book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers that talks about the cortisol response and that kind of stuff. But anyway, but the way we live our lives right now, um, we may not feel like we're stressed, but we do things that, keep our bodies under chronic cortisol pressure. So like even being in air conditioning with that lack of up and down um, of temperatures can be stressful to our bodies because our bodies weren't made for that. I we never, made, I've never heard that before. That's right. Makes total sense. But yeah. Right. So we, you know, we're chronic, chronically stressed. Um, you know, lack of sleep makes us chronically stressed. Uh, finances, relationships, um, skipping meals. Um, that causes a, a cortisol spike. So what we want to do is make sure that we're keeping that under control because cortisol affects blood sugar. So it causes blood sugar to go up, which means more insulin is released. And the more insulin keeps being released, the more likely you are to get insulin resistance because your cells stop responding to it. Um, cortisol can block progesterone receptors. Um, so it it's tied into, I mean, if you were to look at the way the hormone cascade is produced, um, you would see that cortisol kind of is there at the, at, at the top. Um, and it actually, if like, if you want to use progesterone um, and your cortisol is low, what is going to happen is your body is going to take that progesterone and basically make cortisol out of it because it has to have cortisol to stay alive. It does not need any of the other hormones to stay alive, but it's got to have cortisol. Well, and I, I know you mentioned in your book that you tend to see more low cortisol with, with women mm -hmm. rather than high. And I think we've been under this impression, right? That like it's been more high issues than low issues. And so um, how does that work? So when we're under stress all the time, why would our cortisol be low? So it starts out as high. Okay. Um, so when you're first having a stressful event, I mean, I've had clients who just had this whopping cortisol curve all day long. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually, the HPA axis in your brain gets the message, we've got enough cortisol, and it stops signaling it to be produced, which is when it gets low. The other thing that can happen is your body may keep more of your cortisol that you produced in cortisone form. So cortisone is inactive. Mm -hmm. um, and based on your body's stress needs, it's flipping back and forth with cortisol in your saliva glands and your kidneys and some other places in your body all day long. But when your body needs to slow down, your body will sequester it in cortisone. Mm -hmm. And so that'll make your free cortisol low. Okay. And this is where the, the adrenal fatigue misnomer kind of comes in. 
you may, you may be making plenty of cortisol, but it may be over here in, in cortisone where it can't be used to do the job. Gotcha. Um, another issue that comes up is some people make a lot of cortisol, but it's metabolized immediately. And this is mostly in the case of um, obesity or insulin resistance or hyperthyroidism. Okay. So these are all things that you can see on the Dutch test as well. So, right. wow. so in, whereas if you did just a saliva test for cortisol and it was low, you might label somebody with adrenal fatigue when what they really have is a lot of metabolized cortisol or they've got a lot of cortisone and you can't see that on a saliva test. Interesting. So when going back to using like for women that, that do use bioidentical progesterone, mm -hmm. if they're the they're sequestered in the cortisone the cortisol gets sequestered in the cortisone when you take that progesterone in your body is gonna automatically kind of use that as cortisol or, or shift it to cortisol no not not if you have a lot of cortisone but okay. if you are if you're low on on all of your stress hormones it's going to take that and okay. and try to make more cortisol out of it Okay. And do you see that happening a lot with women when they first start using bioidentical progesterone? Um, I personally don't see it a lot because I do the tests first. And if somebody's cortisol is really low, we, we don't go down the progesterone route till we get some uh, adrenal support on board. Um, in my group, however, <laughs> or other, other groups that I'm in, I'm in like, I don't know, I got out of a bunch of them because I just, I just couldn't deal with all of it. But <laughs> There are a lot of women who are hardcore DIY, let me fix my own hormone kinds of th people. Mm -hmm. And so they'll start progesterone because somebody said it was a good idea. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they're having more heart palpitations and their anxiety level is through the roof and their insomnia is much worse. And that's a tip off that, um, that maybe that's not such a good idea. Right, right. And that there's other things that need to be done first. Exactly. Yeah. So do you, when you uh, work with women and so I guess, I guess just depending on what you see with the Dutch test, it's kind of clear if they need some bioidentical progesterone mm -hmm. right off the bat or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it has been life altering for a lot of women in, in a good way. Um, if somebody is on the younger end of the spectrum, I generally recommend that they try Vitex first mm -hmm. because that helps with progesterone support and so does vitamin C. Mm -hmm. um, so that for the younger people that I work with is usually our first step. Um, but the closer you get to menopause, the less likely Vitex is to work. Mm. So because you're just not producing progesterone, so there's really not a lot to balance out. There's nothing, um, and that's when you go, you know, to the supplementation. Um, and I, I take oral progesterone and okay. I was going to ask you which one, which form you think is best. Well, it depends on what you're using it for. So, um, if it's for insomnia, the oral works best because when oral progesterone goes through your liver, it creates a metabolite called allopregnenolone and that's what makes you sleepy. If you're using cream, that bypasses the liver so you don't get that metabolite. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And so pretty much as you are moving into menopause and then are in menopause and postmenopause, do women kind of need to stay on biogenical progesterone for the most part or does it just kind of depend on the, the woman? Um, it really depends on the woman. 
Uh, progesterone starts to work less well when your estrogen levels fall out of the ideal range. Mm. So, um, you know, at some point the progesterone may not work as well or other symptoms may develop that suggest that supplementing with estrogen might be a better way to go. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously if you still have a uterus, you need both. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people need to understand that estrogen by itself, I don't think it's ever a good idea, but if you've had a hysterectomy, it won't cause you to have uterine cancer. Right. Um, that's a whole nother conversation, but uh, you know, it's just a matter of looking at what, symptoms are evolving and what what is the best way to address those okay and in terms of um hormone replacement for estrogen mm -hmm. is that over the counter at all or is it just a prescription well believe it or not there is a biased product that's available over the counter okay so Isn't it's that a good product yeah okay i, re I recommend it to people okay. That's awesome to know because, you know, I think a lot of the focus these days is on bioidentical progesterone. Yeah. We're sort of not looking at, at you know, well, as, as we age, we have to think about the estrogen too. Well, and I want to be clear that do-it-yourself projects with estrogen are a really bad idea. I know. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> be very, very clear. Yeah, yeah. Don't do that at home. Yeah. Pretty much <laughs> all of that is, I, I mean, I, I get it, you know, I've, been there many, many, many times. And especially when you're like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't have the money. I don't have the, right. but then you end up spending, I mean, ultimately you spend more on the exactly. supplements that you try and the, this and the, that and piecing together rather than, you know, working with someone like you and getting to it right off the bat, you know? Well, and you can make yourself worse. Yeah. So That's the scary part. That. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, and I had mentioned to you that I was going to ask about this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm knee-deep in creating this program about fibroids mm -hmm. through what I went through. And, you know, kind of the, the common, uh, I'd say, like, take on it is that if you have fibroids to help shrink them, one of the things you want to do is kind of higher levels of bioidentical progesterone. And I started coming across some studies that indicate that, you know, um, fibroids may have um, receptors that basically mm -hmm. the progesterone receptors and that helps it grow, you know? And so, and, it, and really I came across those studies because I heard some women and in some of these groups talk about, well, I actually think it helped it grow instead of shrink. Mm -hmm. So now, you know, you're in this, this place of, um, of what, what do you do? And I very much feel like, you know, I don't know what that answer is around fibroids. And you know what? I don't either. And I looked at some of the, well, one of the links that you sent me yesterday, and I think there needs to be, you know, more of a body of evidence to, I mean, we know that estrogen fuels fibroids. Um, right. I think we, we don't know yet what the role of progesterone is because some women do really well with it. So maybe there's a genetic thing where your progesterone, you know, who knows? Yeah. Well, um, it's fascinating too, because for me, you know, it, when I did have the fibroid, which completely threw my cycle off, like I had been a, you know, 28 day or 29 mm -hmm. for years. And then all of a sudden I was like five days early and then five days early the next month. And it just kept going back and, um, getting, I had some, you know, I think, I guess I must have ordered some biogenical progesterone at that point. I use it at another point in my life that it was helpful. Um, and it got my cycle right back to that. So it was very mm -hmm. helpful in that. 
Um, and kind of other, I'd say, aspects, you know, I was, it didn't have any PMS. It was just this horrible <laughs> bleeding that was happening during my period right. fibroid. And then learning that the fibroid had grown kind of a, a lot in the three months between finding out about it and the surgery. So that's really what has made me question, you know, and yeah. it's like, wow, well, it's interesting because it was actually doing some good for sure because it right. regulated my cycle, but was it also feeding the fibroid? And so that's kind of where hanging out, like trying to figure that kind of stuff out, you know? Yeah. There may not be an answer quite yet. Yeah. I don't know. Well, do you feel like we also just need a lot more research on all of this stuff? Oh yeah. Oh my God. I mean, well, historically in all drug studies, women get left out. Yeah. So that's just kind of been the nature of the beast. But I think, um, now that there's starting to be more of an awareness about somebody said yesterday in my group, perimenopause is a new specialty. And I just was like, no, no, perimenopause has been going on since women were created. But We've always I, had I just didn't even go there. I was like, I just can't. Yeah. Um, but I think there's more of an awareness now that perimenopause actually is a, is a phase that where things just kind of go off the rails and all we've really been, you know, taught about if we were taught anything at all, which is probably more the case that people don't get any information. We just think about menopause and hot flashes and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but there's a whole universe of things that come way before that. So I think there's an opportunity for um, people and women like me and you and that are involved in the reproductive area um, to really make our voices heard and say, you know, we need to do some actual studies on this because most of what's out there is an anecdotal. Right. Absolutely. And even simple things like so when, when it comes to progesterone, they're actually using progestin. Yes, exactly. Studies, which, you know, I've talked about, you know, trying to educate people the difference between progesterone yes. and Yes. And so that's, I mean, even looking at that study I sent you, I'm like, well, I don't know if they're actually looking at progesterone. Because they didn't say, yeah. You know, so you're like, well, that's not really helpful. Um, but yeah, and, and going back to what you said, like, I think so many people have thought just like, what is actually perimenopause? They just thought it was menopause. Yeah. Right? So it is kind of this whole like section that people just didn't, they were like, oh, that's all just menopause. And it's like, no, you know, in some ways, I think perimenopause can be tougher. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. And so, so especially when you're unprepared. Yes. Um, exactly. And that's when I wrote the book, I kind of was writing it as a what to expect when you're expecting perimenopause right. um, yeah. layout so that people could just look, you know, oh, this is happening. Oh, this is, this is why. Yeah. Oh, here's what I can do about it kind of thing. Well, thank you so much for writing the book because I've been <laughs> people that, you know, I, I, to, you know, to explain all the things can, can take a while. And I, I think you did a really good job Thanks. Of, of getting things out there in a way that people can understand and, you know, good places to start. But going back to the, you know, DIY thing, I do recommend to people really to work with someone. And so, especially someone like you, who is so knowledgeable on both sides of the spectrum of things. So tell people how they can contact you. Well, there are a number of ways. Um, so I have a website, obviously. It's uh, drannagarrett.com, or you can email me at info at drannagarrett.com. Um, 
um, happy to answer questions that people have as long as they're not like specific to your medical situation because if I don't know anything about you then I don't want to give you advice right um, but if it's a general question about is say Vitex good for blah 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 I'll, I'll answer that kind of stuff okay. um, and then I have a quiz on my website that people can access to see what they score as far as what the likelihood of being in perimenopause is. Nice. And that's perimenopausequiz.com. And then I have the book, perimenopausebook.com. And if you'd like to read the first chapter for free, you are welcome to do that. Um, and that is dranna.com, forward slash taste dash of dash peri. Okay, great. Well, I'll make sure all of those links go, you know, in the notes so people can just get directly there. Oh, and then there's my Facebook group, which is the Hormone Harmony Club. Okay, great. And um, are you on Instagram too? Yes, Dr. Anna Garrett. Okay, great. I'm, I'm in all the places. All the places. <laughs> gotta be these days, right? You're like, yes, God. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I could ask you seriously probably a million more questions and it would go into my own stuff, which we don't need to. <laughs> I know I always, people always ask me, you know, health, personal health questions. And I'm like, legally, I can't really talk to you about this without you being a client, you know, exactly. So try and rec you know, remind people, but um, yeah, thank you so much for being here with me today. And I enjoyed it immensely. I'm so glad I, I got to meet you. I know me too. Um, for those that don't know, we're actually both in Asheville, which I yeah. think is really, really cool too. So, so we, we shall have tea one day. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So everybody check out Dr. Anna Garrett's website and definitely grab that first chapter of her book because you'll be hooked and want to get it and you can, you know, get it on Amazon. I'm assuming mm -hmm. Barnes and Noble, Kobo, yeah. All your the places. local bookstore. I got yes. our local bookstore, Malaprop. So it's always a good thing to do. So I know I outsold the Mueller report one week. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you got a picture of that. Did, I did. My, my neighbor works there. Uh -huh. and so she, she took a, a picture and texted it to me. You're like, yeah. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, guys, um, I will see you next time. Have a great one. Bye.